Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may, by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network, Catholic radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. WTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Can everybody make a mistake? Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Well, sometimes the medicine isn't pleasant. It can make you feel worse. That's one of the dangers in therapy. When you're talking with somebody and they're bringing up matters that are pretty heavy and you're making suggestions outside of their comfort zone to use psychobabble, make you feel worse. It can happen. But sometimes a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine to go down. Dr. Ray here. Thank you so very much for joining me on The Doctor Is In, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production, EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, as well as Ave Maria Radio Communications. There in the production booth is my producer man, Andrew Kruchek. This is a variant of The Doctor Is In. It is E-Person Monday. When I make a note, usually if I'll do an e-person i'll send that person a little note that says i i addressed your question on an e-person money but the talk to text has never gotten and i've sent out hundreds of those that never yet gotten e-person it's always each person year person ewtn communicating the faith I want to thank you very much for what you have done for us these years as we converted to Catholicism two years ago, and you have... Those E-persons. Oh, am I being clever with E-person? No, 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 I'm not trying to be clever. I'm just essentially trying to be sensitive. I don't want to say E-male, because sometimes they're E-females. But you can't say E-female either, because it's got male in it. There's just a whole lot of words you can't use anymore. And I don't know who defines what words you can use and what words you can't use. But all of a sudden, somehow, like a flame that gets out of control through the whole country, all of a sudden, that's not something you can say. You're not even allowed to think that. You know what I've noticed? All right, I've gone, I've gone off on a tangent here, but I'm going to go off. The new morality is puritanical. 
the very same approach, the very same philosophy of the Puritans who have been mocked in modern society for their quote-unquote rigid morality. I think the new morality is almost every bit as puritanical, if not worse, because it simply says you can't even use a word, and if you use a word or a pronoun, you will be punished severely. Did you ever think about that? The new, the new morality, the new society-defined morality is puritanical. All right. I should maybe do a whole monologue on that sometime. But this time I'm going to do something, uh, eh, something I haven't dealt with for a long time. We get, we get a lot of life questions on this program and, and a lot less kid questions. But we still get a lot of kid questions. And I still get a lot of uh, parents coming into the office regarding kid matters behavior most of the time, discipline issues. I will routinely ask, is there an older child? I'd say half the time. Yes. Yes, there is. And nothing at all like this child. It's a child who has brought them to come in and get some parenting guidance. More mature, more helpful, didn't take anywhere near as much discipline, Seems to seems to think more level-headedly, just just a normal child. At which I am often prompted to say, "What makes you think that child is normal? I think that child is a freebie, a mulligan round from God who said, "Here, play with this. I'll save the real kid till later." I call it the shell-shocked second child syndrome. You get a kid. It's relatively easy to raise as kids go. And the stuff that you do works pretty well, you know. Okay, so you have to discipline every so often. But he gets the message or she gets the message. And after that, you don't have to do it too much. This is a kid who may seem self-motivated. So school's not really much of a hassle, a wrestling match. And then the second kid comes along and you're figuring, no, well, that is what kids were, that first experience. And the second kid is not that first experience. That second kid is quite different in the way they approach life and authority and discipline and school and peer relations and cooperation. Not that they're necessarily all so terrible. It's just the discrepancy between them and the older child it's pretty big. Now, sometimes you get two older children that are perfectly normal in the sense of their need for socialization and, and their need for discipline. But for the most part, they're not challenging. But the third kid is. Or if you got a bunch of kids, you may have one kid who is by far more challenging than the other kids. It's who they are. It's the way they're wired. It's their temperament. It's their personality. So it requires more of you as a parent. More supervision. More consistency. More follow-through. More structure. More perseverance. Because this kid is just who
who he or she is. Parents will say, well, it can't be me because I have two other children and they're doing fine, so it can't be me. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that you didn't make this child who he is, at least on a personality wiring level, but no in the sense that because your parenting was shaped much by the other children, and this one came along and threw at you things you never had to deal with with the other children, and perhaps you got confused, or you underestimated what you need to do, or your consistency level isn't anywhere near enough to teach this kid. So as a result, you parented kind of like the first child, or the couple of children who don't act like this, and this one does. And you developed bad habits. I get that all the time. Most parents don't come into my office saying, all four of my children are this way. All four of my children are driving me crazy. They don't do that. Usually there's one child. Now, there may be a second one that is less trouble, but he's still giving him trouble. But compared to the one who's given him the most trouble, he hides. Oh, yeah, I get that. When parents make some changes in their parenting and their discipline, and they start to bring this problem child, if you will. I hate to use those words. I don't like using those words. But difficult child, eh, that's redundant. This particular child under control, they notice that the good child, if you use that word, has gotten away with a lot because he hid inside the dust that was kicked up by the tougher kid. The tougher kid took so much effort or so much frustration or so much energy that the other kid, yeah, he he did some things there that need to be dealt with, but by comparison, you know, we're near as bad. But then when you started to tone down the behavior of the targeted child, if you will, you notice, hey, wait a minute. That child's kind of disrespectful too, but but I wasn't noticing it because, because his brother is so much more disrespectful. Hmm. Shell-shocked second child syndrome. You won't find that in any book other than mine. And to tell you the truth, I haven't really heard experts anywhere talk about that. But I think it's a real obvious phenomenon, which is the first one or the first and second ones or or the other four of the five shaped how you approach parenting. And if you have a sweetheart first, you think you're God's gift to parenthood. And then Cujo comes along. And he's not really Cujo. He just looks like Cujo compared to Angelica. So, cell shock, second child syndrome. I've written about it. I've talked about it. But in fact, 
This child's probably not quite as bad as you think, but you got trained by the first one. And uh, to make the moves that you need to make as a parent on this second one takes a little more effort. Okay, I'm heading into the E-persons. On the other side, we definitely will go at them. I'm Dr. Ray. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. It's been nine presidential elections that I've been on the air, and I've been watching Christians engage the culture around us. In almost every campaign year, candidates urge us to take back America. This is about as tired a phrase as you can find. And yet, with each election, the command to take back America reappears. We seem to think that America's problem that we have to correct is go back to a different idea of the budget or a different foreign policy or new regulatory reform. I'd argue that America's biggest problem is this act of idolatry that has allowed us to turn the emphasis on ordered liberty into a preoccupation with personal and individual autonomy. I'd go further and say that any attempt to take back America or make America great again that does not attack the idolatry of individual autonomy is doomed to failure. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. The devil will always do his best to tempt you into sin until you get to that place where you love sin. That's what he wants. He wants you down there with him. And not because he loves you, he hates you. When you do what the enemy tempts you to do, he does it out of pure hatred. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. My wife wants me to help cook the holidays. And I'm not real good at this. I mean, at our house, when I cook, we pray after we eat. But it said one of the recipes I was reading, she wasn't home, so I was reading this recipe by myself. It said, double the recipe. I I called her. I said, honey, the, the oven doesn't go to 700 degrees. I don't know what to do. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi. Program here is the Doctor is in. This is the E-Person variant, and I'm going to go straight to it. Hi, Dr. Ray. I, I guess that is the way the appellation has to begin. Uh, mostly females. I don't think I've ever had a male say, hi, Dr. Ray. Hi, Doc. Yo, Doc. Doc, what's up? Dude. I haven't gotten too many dudes. Our 19-year-old daughter is living at home and respects our right to have guidelines on her behavior in our home. Now, that's a significant phrase right there. You'll see why. In our home. Now, that doesn't mean living here in our home. It means in (laughs) in the physical confines of our home. 
but she doesn't think we should be involved in her decisions or her behavior outside of our home. Well, that raises the question for me, which is, does she really believe you should have a say in your home? Because what she's doing outside your home may be against your expectations or your morals from your home. She wants to spend several days with her boyfriend at college Mm -hmm. and would be staying with him and his roommate in their dorm room. Uh Aha. Well, it's outside your home, right, Mom? Mm Mm-hmm. She doesn't think we should have any say in this. You know, Mom, I'm really starting to think she just doesn't agree with what you believe within your home. But what she's doing is she's being cooperative because she's living there as long as it doesn't interfere too much with what she wants to do. Now, you have every right to say, well, you can't do that. You're not going to go spend several days with your boyfriend living in his room. That's not going to happen. And if she says, well, you don't have a right to tell me, you can say, you're right. You're 19. You can do what you want. Better find a way to get through college, though. If you're going to do that, we're, we're cutting off the money. You can do it. You have every right to do that if you wish. If it were me, I would. I'd say, no, that's not going to happen. But there's more to it than this. Let's, let's go ahead. She doesn't think we should have any say in this. Well, of course she doesn't. She wants to do what she wants to do. Of course, as long as you're footing the bills and as long as you are supporting her, even at home. Now, apparently, she lives at home. And this boyfriend is in college, so therefore she wants to go there. Now, this particular e-person's a few weeks old, so this may have already happened. But I will send a notice to mom here that the e-person has been aired. Mom says, we don't know how to explain to her why we have a right and responsibility to make decisions about her behavior outside of our home as long as she's living here. Mom, of course you do. Of course you know how. You've explained it. It's not a matter of if you explain it correctly, she'll say, oh, mother, that makes perfect sense. I've I've been so stubborn. I've been so obtuse. No, no, no. You know perfectly well how to explain it. She doesn't agree. There's no way to explain it if she at the very bottom of her decision-making process, doesn't agree. Notice I didn't say bottom line. That's such a cliche. So I switched it right while I was saying it. Right as I was about to say bottom line, I thought, don't say that, Ray. That's a, that's just such a cliche. So at the end of the day, <laughs> another big cliche. For you, you can say, well, you can think what you want to think, daughter. But as long as you're living here, we will make decisions regarding your conduct morally outside of our home. We're not going to be a party, no pun intended, 
to what you do that could hurt you or that could be immoral. That's not going to happen. Now, you say she's 19. I don't know if she's gone to college. I don't know if she's working. She may view it as, I'm working. I'm an adult. I just happen to live here. I even pay you rent. So, therefore, if I'm paying you rent, I get to do what I want. Mm, No, no. When my oldest son turned 18, after all the party was done, at the end of it all, I said, Andrew, you're 18 now, son. By the law, you're an adult. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to follow my rules. You can do as you please in any way other than, of course, being illegal, you take your chances. You don't have to keep a curfew. You don't have to eat right. Really, you don't have to go to church. And Andrew, the the more I talked, the more he smiled. Because Andrew was a pretty savvy kid. He knew where I was going. I said, now, of course, if you so choose to do that, you can't live here. And he goes, I know, Dad. (laughs) The old, I know, Dad. So Andrew stayed with us till he was 26. So he got his graduate degree in engineering. But this whole idea of the law says I'm 18, therefore... Mom, Dad, you can't do a thing about what I do. Well, yeah, you you can't if, if they don't live with you. But if they do live with you, then you you retain an enormous amount of authority. Obviously, you don't treat a 19-year-old like you treat a 15-year-old. But at the same time, you do decide. For example, many parents will say, I expect you to go to church or college. And you better get a bulletin. Or when I go to visit you, I'm going to talk to the priest and see if he knows you. If you don't, I'm not supporting your college. Now, parents could do that. That's well within a parent's rights. Other parents don't. They say, well, they're an adult now. They're on their own. I can't force it. I'm not going to monitor it. And that's probably the more common approach. So what I would say here, Mom, in the end, is you're right. You're not going to convince her that because she's 19 and lives in your home, you still have a say in her moral conduct outside your home. You're not going to convince her of that. You'll have to essentially establish it and then see what she does with it. She may say, I so much want to go stay with my boyfriend that I'm out of here and I'm going to live with my friend and because I work, I'm going to try to make it so that I can have total freedom and you don't have one single word to say about the way I conduct myself. There's a lot of that going on out there because our culture now as it stands has all kinds of immoral opportunities everywhere and they're not even viewed as immoral anymore. They're just viewed as personal decisions. So the parent who says, no, that's not cool, is kind of a throwback. All right. Let's see what else I got here. I don't don't have enough time, but let me double check this one. Oh yeah, that's a long one. I'm gonna have to save that one till later. Let's go a little further up the road here. See what we got on that one. No, that's a speaking engagement. They want me to come to a speaking engagement. Let's see that one here. Fact check, Doctor Ray. 
an academy high school team defeated the women's national soccer team, not Olympic team. Okay. I was talking about that. I was talking about men versus women physically. And I said that a high school boys team beat the uh, Olympic women's soccer team. And I was corrected here. Uh, Under, this is apparently a Dallas headline, under 15 boys squad beat the U.S. women's national team in a scrimmage. Okay. I got the correction on that. Physically, I just don't have any comprehension on how when someone is an XX versus an XY physically, whatever the XY determines they are in their mind, that XY still gives them physical advantage, even even when they go all the way in attempting to Say I'm not what those trillions of cells in my body say genetically. Just an, an enormous an enormous physical difference. All right, getting close to the music. This is Dr. Ray. I do so very much appreciate your company. This is E Person Monday. with Teresa Tomio. That idea of suffering is one of the reasons many people either turn away from God or they ignore faith altogether because they cannot comprehend or wrap their heads around suffering and all the suffering in the world. This is an issue for you and it's it's an issue for all of us from time to time when we go through rough situations to say, Lord, what do you want me to learn about suffering? Ask the Lord to help you understand the meaning of suffering. God doesn't waste his time with anything. Whatever you go through, he will use if you allow him to use it. And you look at the greatest evil, right? The killing of God, Jesus, the Son of God on the cross. And what came out of that? Our salvation. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. How are the people of God, the Church, related to religions who have yet to receive the Gospel? According to the Catholic Catechism, the Church is linked to the Jewish religion. The Jews were the first to hear the Word of God. The Jewish faith is already a response to God's revelation in the Old Covenant. To the Jews belong the patriarchs, the sonship, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Of their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, For the gifts, says the Catechism, and the call of God are irrevocable. The Muslims are related to the Church in that they acknowledge the Creator, profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. The Church's bond with other non-Christian religions stems from the common belief in the origin and end of the human race, which in both cases is our Creator God. 
This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. My mom was pretty good at getting her message across without saying it. Remember one time I called her, and she answered the phone, and she sounded very weak, very frail, and that was not my mom. My mom was a very sturdy lady. She picked it up. She said, hello? I said, Mom, is that you? Yes. I said, Mom, you don't sound so good. What's going on? I haven't eaten in 22 days. Ma, why have you not eaten in 22 days? I didn't want my mouth to be full of food in case you called. (laughs) Ah, my mom's, I hope, in heaven now. Mom, it's a joke. You didn't say that. Dear Dr. Ray, I'm writing because I have a slightly different take on the advice you gave the pregnant mom of four children who is afraid to share the good news about her pregnancy with her mother-in-law because of her being irate. An understatement from what I heard on the radio. Uh, Yeah, it was a call where I think mom had four kids and her mother just exploded at the news of pregnancies here. And the caller was extremely reluctant in any way to tell the mother. I think I may have said something like, well, don't be bullied. You know, tell her, tell her you're you're, you're going to you're going to you're pregnant and and that's the way it is. And uh, she's going to explode like crazy if, if this is the way she is. She described a very, very, very irrational, almost violent response on mother's part. So our writer here said, I had a similar problem as the uh, mother concerning my mother. Oh, that's right. That wasn't a call. It was an email. I remember that. That's right. Although my mother wasn't quite as volatile as the email's mother-in-law seems to be. All right, so this email says, it's my mother who used to do this as opposed to the emailer's mother-in-law. This is well phrased. She says, I did and still have the luxury (laughs) to live a couple of thousands of miles away from my mom. Well, if it's 3,000, that'd be nirvana. Only 1,000 might not be luxury, be semi-luxury. But she says it's a luxury to live a couple thousand miles from her mom. Just like your emailer, Dr. Ray, every time I gave my mom the good news of being pregnant. Okay, and by the way, I skipped over part of this email. They They had 10 children. So this emailer had 10 children. Uh, news of being pregnant, her reaction on the phone consistently got worse. So I don't know, maybe by three it was bad, four it was really bad, five it was crazy, six it was just got worse and worse and worse and worse. In essence, you're nuts, you're stupid, you're foolish, why are you doing this, etc., etc., etc. When I was pregnant with my baby, my fifth baby, and I was 12 weeks along, I had a very bad feeling about preparing to tell her. My husband said 
don't worry. Your mother will be fine. So I told her. She yelled at me on the phone loud enough for my husband to hear. And it was not speakerphone. Soon after, I was afraid of losing the baby because of the stress. I got on the phone with a friend who had helped me in my conversion to the Catholic faith. She had had two past miscarriages. I asked her to pray for the baby. Thanks be to God, we now have my 18-year-old son. After this, my husband and I decided to handle any future pregnancies by telling my mom about the new baby only when the baby was born. I know this was not ideal, and we were lucky that we couldn't, nor they us, visit my parents frequently. After the birth of my sixth baby, my mom was surprised when I told her about a new granddaughter, but she reacted better. Now, why is this? And I I think the emailer put her finger on this. I think in her mind, the baby wasn't so abstract anymore. She was a baby girl with a name and welcomed into the world by both of her parents and all of her siblings. We did this for the next few kids with similar results. By the time I was pregnant with my eighth baby, I told my mom of my pregnancies while I was still pregnant. But further along, she reacted fine. I agree with you, Dr. Ray, about not letting a mother-in-law have such a hold on you. In my case, it was my mom. And I admit, she did have an emotional hold on me. Gradually, though, I overcame this. Thank you for reading my email. You're welcome. I've commented many times on this program that one of the great ironies of our culture, and I, and again, I, I don't hear this too much anywhere, which, which is a shock to me. We live in a culture which celebrates nearly absolute sexual license. You can do what you want. Whenever. However. And we have to applaud and accept. But there is one group. There is one group we consider a group that deserves our opprobrium. (laughs) I got to use that word. And it is moms who are married and who are moving past having two children. It is, permiss- it is permissible in our culture to verbally abuse you, to question you, to critique you, to psychoanalyze you, to attack you, to assault you. For what? Because you want a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth child that God's gives. God gives you. My wife and I had a ten. All adopted and all different races. So we really didn't get all that much grief, but we still did, which was ironic. We still, even though you could look at our family and think, well, okay, 
So unless, unless he doesn't know what she does, these children, at least some of them are adopted because we had white children and we had a couple children who were Hispanic but looked very white. So perhaps someone was thinking, well, you know, they had too many of their own kids biologically before they adopted. Perhaps that's what drove them. But even at that, there were people who were upset at us for having more than our allotment number of children. Moms, you stand strong. I've never heard a parent at the end of their life say, I had too many children. I've heard many, 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 many say, I wish I'd had more children. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. In the midst of our culture today, in this age of relativism, which wants to grant Jesus some significance, but not so much, so we'll give him wise man, great leader, inspiring preacher, great teacher, prophet. You don't get that option when you claim to be God. What reasons do we have to believe that he is who he said he is? And it's important, again, to employ the use of our reason and to understand that faith is not blind. My faith, and please God, the faith of everyone here, is not blind. It rests on something. It rests on a number of things, not least of which is my own experience of God, but it also has something substantial which can be claimed through history. We're not talking about a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away, when we talk about Jesus. We're talking about a precise moment in history which has been testified to by countless testimonies, and you and I have access to them. The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jingle. St. Ignatius of Loyola describes the challenging characteristics of spiritual desolation in the fourth rule of his 14 rules for the discernment of spirits. St. Ignatius states that finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, falls within the experience of spiritual desolation. Father Timothy Gallagher writes, The adverb totally is powerful here. Ignatius applies it to three further forms of spiritual desolation. Persons in such desolation may experience themselves as entirely slothful, tepid, and sad. When a person finds themselves totally slothful, they lack spiritual vitality. When a person is tepid, they lack spiritual zeal. And when they experience a sadness connected to their life of faith, they lack interior joy. Have you asked for the grace to identify and reject spiritual desolation in your life today? For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. Very nice to have you with me. Very nice to be able to do this program. The older I get, the more I have to understand what I've been allowed to do with this program. For years, I wanted my own secular program. Didn't happen. There were many opportunities, but for whatever the reason, one way or another, they didn't come through. But then I got to be here, and this is something I 
never, never anticipated. Incredible, incredible privilege, blessing. It's Dr. Ray Grandy, program doctors in this E-Person Monday. Dear Dr. Ray, that's a guy. See, I've been given a gift of reflection. Okay, I think he's saying I got insight. That I harbor resentment toward my wife. It's unjust. She is the most gentle, kind, and softest person I know. I know there are minute details that could point to why I feel this way, but I would like to ask if you have any advice for overcoming resentment in a marriage. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I would have to know much, much more, but just a few thoughts in general. It's good that you know that your resentment is grounded in midair. It's in your head. It doesn't exist in real offenses. Whatever it is that you're creating in your mind to be resentful toward your wife, you got to challenge it. you got to say, I'm being ridiculous. This is stupid, and I'm going to act against it. I'm going to be more affectionate toward her. I'm going to be more charitable toward her because i got to do these things because she doesn't deserve what's going on in my mind. He goes on. I also note that I've had problems with empathy all my life. Well, I think what he means is putting himself in another person's position. My mother identified the same issue in my father. However, I certainly was more trainable in overcoming the shortcoming of my father. I I think he's alluding to the fact that he's more open to the fact that he struggles with empathy than his father was. My father and his two brothers, I guess his two uncles, also seem to suffer with empathy problems. He says, that's not a professional diagnosis, just an appraisal from a layman. So to really summarize why I'm bringing this to you, what tips do you have in overcoming resentment in a marriage, especially in light of someone who suffers with empathy? Well, you don't have to stay suffering with empathy. Don't view it as, oh, that's what I'm afflicted with. Gee, it's just something that overcomes me. No, the the lack of putting yourself in another person's shoes and understanding who they are and why they are is, is you. That's what you're doing. So I do have some tips. They wouldn't be called tips because they aren't easy. One, go to your wife. And acknowledge, if you haven't already, do it again, how much you appreciate who she is, how wonderful she is. You said she is. So let her know that, and let her know that a lot in all kinds of ways. Find all the ways to compliment who she is. You don't have to feel empathy to show empathy. You don't have to feel when you say, boy, you you, you just... You are so good with that kid. You are so good with him. You know that? No wonder he likes you like he does. You don't have to feel anything to say that. You can say it. Secondly, if you're feeling resentment, you ask yourself a question. 
How am I interpreting what she's doing? If I look at this objectively, she's not doing anything that should cause resentment in me. So what is it about me that's causing this resentment? I need to look at myself here. Three, fake it. In other words, when you don't feel like having an understanding of your wife, talk understanding. Verbalize it. At the very least, you're not being you're not being hypocritical. You're not being deceptive. You're you're simply saying, I'm going to talk counter to the feeling that is within me, because the feeling that is within me is ridiculous. It stinks. I'm going to show my wife how much I appreciate her by the things that I say, the things that I recognize, the affection that I show her, so that all that resentment that builds up over these, you call them, tiny details, um, can be overwhelmed by the way you start to treat your wife. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. 60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The disclosure of a name in the ancient world belonged to the order of trust and intimacy. And so when God revealed his name to Moses, it was an extraordinary outreach to us, saying uh, that we were called to an intimate, trusting relationship with him. And so we should always reverence this name as a great gift. We should obviously never use God's name to curse or to blaspheme or to berate others. God's name is meant to bring blessing. And likewise, the vain use. Vain means empty. Uh, so some of these expressions like, oh my God, or you know, and so on, uh, need to be avoided as well. Vain means empty, and those are using God's name as an empty kind of expression of exasperation. And then finally, never ever to use God's name to swear an oath falsely. God is the God of truth. The second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. interesting thing has happened here is this is this is the dangerous part of this when i am scrolling through my phone and picking up emails 
and I'm and I'm trying to go back, I'm trying to go back to um, the places in the e-persons that I don't get too far back with folks because typically uh, their question may have been resolved or solved in some way. But then typically as I'm doing this, especially as I'm reading it, a phone call comes in, blocks everything out. This year I looked for and contacted a long-lost cousin. She's distanced herself voluntarily for about 20 years due to her difficult relationship with her mother. Well, I don't know how that follows. So she's distanced herself from our writer because she's had a difficult relationship with her mother. She's also broken the relationship. She had broken the relationship with her siblings due to painful situations that arose from her father abandoning them when she was 10. She's pretty much distanced herself from everybody and disappeared from the map. I was happy to find her and had several good conversations with her, after which I invited her to visit my home and family in a different state. She was very happy to find me. We were very close when we were young. She suffered tremendously all of her life. Um, but the, now we rekindled. So what's the problem? Well, here it is. I've discovered that she's now in what looks like witchcraft or Satanism. She abandoned Catholicism because, according to her, her mother forced her to go to Mass. Well, now see, that that's one. If you're getting that one from an adult kid, ignore it. That's not the reason in the vast majority of cases there's many other reasons and they just throw that one at you because well you made me do something i didn't want to do so therefore i'm not going to do it when i'm a grown-up oh good i made you eat vegetables too you're going to stop eating vegetables i made you apologize you not apologize i made you clean your room are you going to be i mean you you parents make kids do all kinds of stuff for their well-being through my finding her she has reconnected also to her brother and other members of the family. I'm now afraid to have a relationship with her because she is practicing witchcraft or perhaps spiritism. And I also worry about everybody else with whom she's reconnected. I've told her directly and repeatedly that what she is doing is very bad. But she insists it's all, quote, good spirits that she communicates with. Ain't no such thing. At least in that context. I could just tell her that I can't have a relationship with her like that, but I know she's been suicidal. And losing me again could lead to a bad place again. I did tell her brother I discovered the witchcraft, so at least he knows. Sounds like she lives far away, six hours. I would imagine you could still have phone chats with her about other aspects of her life, or you've told her many times about the witchcraft. She doesn't want to hear it. So you could, if you think you are competent enough in your own mind, you could uh, ask her, uh, what is it about this witchcraft thing that's so attractive to her? Uh, Does she think that, in fact, this is dangerous? 
Does she think that, in fact, especially in the spiritism or the Satanism, if that's what it is, that this is this is very, very risky stuff? She's opening up a door. Well, you could do that. Um, some people might say absolutely not in any way, shape or form that she's practicing this. You tell her you cannot have any contact remotely with her. Or do you say, I think I can keep a distance enough in this relationship, not inviting her to my house, (laughs) I don't want that, but I can still converse with her over the phone about life, about faith, and maybe even explore what this is doing to her right now. If you feel you can do that, if you feel you're going to get sucked into, she's going to attempt to convince you that all that she's doing is so good and wonderful and you need to understand it and accept it and be a part of it you might have to tell her i can't i can't and i won't uh to me this is is very very dangerous and i don't want to be near it so that's that's tricky one that's a tricky one and i know that's one that again there is answers here that depend upon many more details that's why i've kind of waffled back and forth on what to do about this because you kind of got to understand how is she pushy about this uh, how often do you talk to her if she's six 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 hours away then obviously most of these are phone consults if she says i want to come and visit you at your house now you got a tougher question you got a tougher question because you, you really don't you really don't know how immersed she is in this stuff and exactly how she's been malformed by it. By the way, just as a societal aside, more stuff is coming out in the news where there is blatant Satanism, blatant stuff. It's no longer hidden. It's just now to be celebrated the saying is that satan overplays his hand if people start to see that the the push to elevate satanic practices or these these kinds of occult practices is becoming not only very very obvious but is demanding acceptance, especially for our children, especially in various institutions that formerly were involved in proper education of people, then more and more people may wake up and say, it looks like I'm going to have to choose between good and evil. I can no longer just coast along and say, I'm part of the culture, therefore, I can keep a low profile and uh, ignore what they do. They're not going to let you ignore what they do. More and more, they're saying, you have to applaud what I do. You have to give it equal status to your Christian thing. I'm seeing more and more of that in the media, on many uh, social news sites. What I'm seeing is just more and more, and it's popping up places all over the place with statues and 
all mannerism of yeah this is this is what we're into here and this is what we're celebrating and we deserve the same place that anybody else deserves so this is this is going to force a lot of people to choose i'm dr ray thank you so very very much for getting a chance to be with you and visit with you on this e-person monday good lord permit and tomorrow it'll be more or less you person monday where we can take your phone calls and badnage. Thank you for joining me. Walk with God. You will be protected. I'm Dr. Ray. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. The Guadalupe Radio Network thanks Little Elm Eye Care for their support of local Catholic radio. Little Elm Eye Care is owned by Drs. Bert and Leslie Bubella, parishioners of St. Francis of Assisi Parish in Frisco. They specialize in family vision care, comprehensive eye exams, contact lenses, and the treatment of eye diseases and injuries. Little Elm Eye Care is located at 1200 East El Dorado Parkway, Suite 100, across from the Little Elm Athletic Complex. They can be reached by calling 972-2920-900 or on the web at littleelmeyecare.com. Hi, this is Dave Palmer here at KTH 910 AM. Have you ever considered becoming an on-air sponsor of this station? It is a great way to promote your business while supporting the mission of broadcasting the truths of our Catholic faith over the airwaves every day to countless people just like you. If you're not a business owner, you likely know somebody who is. Please encourage them to become a sponsor of this station. If you're interested in learning more about sponsorship, please contact me by emailing davepalmer at grnonline.com. Have you ever heard an aviation emergency on the news? You hear the pilot in ATC talking, but what do you miss? The pilot asking their aircraft dispatcher what they should say on the radio to sound cool. Aircraft dispatchers are the problem solvers working at the airline's operations center. My wife and I run Aircraft Dispatcher Training Center in Farmer's Branch. Thanks to the amazing program here at the GRN, we have become Catholic and now sponsors of this great station. Today, the GRN salutes the Mr. Pay It Forward raffle ticket guy. I'm gonna pay it forward. Whenever you buy a raffle ticket to try and win a 2024 black Mercedes-Benz GLB 250, you don't stop at one plus one for my pastor. Thanks to you, we're going to reach our goal of 1,000 Pay It Forward recipients. Just remember to pay it forward. Oh, yeah. Faith and charity are key elements of life, but are they at the center of your financial decisions? With the Knights of Columbus, you can pursue financial stability, but more importantly, you can do so in a way that is compatible with the Catholic teaching. For more than 140 years, they have helped families guard their financial future. Today, they have expanded their offerings to include retirement annuities, long-term care insurance, and disability income insurance. Your faith can inspire your financial decisions. Terms and conditions apply. You can learn more by calling Chris Stark at 844-656-1492. 
Do you love this station and listen every day? Now is your chance to be part of KATH 910 AM. If you are a business owner in need of getting your message out, consider becoming an on-air sponsor. This is a great opportunity to promote your business, support our station, and help broadcast the truth of our Catholic faith. If you are a business owner or know someone who is, don't pass up this opportunity. Become an on-air sponsor. Just email us at kath at grn.com. 